0: Welcome to Circuitous Conversations with Bill and Dan, episode 87 for Monday, May 28th, 2012.
1: Memorial Day!
0: Yes, I am Bill Wadman. And I am Dan Gottesman. And uh, we are live in the studio today. Live in the studio. Not working um, via Skype, which is nice.
1: Nope, so we can talk over each other in real time.
0: This is old school, like uh, the first few times. It's
1: true. Weird. Is it odd? A little bit. I'm used to sitting in front of my computer.
0: <laughs> you know, we never do video when we're talking. That's correct. I think I don't quite have the bandwidth to pull that off with the video uh, audio quality staying up.
1: Mm. And I do have the bandwidth, but I don't have... My laptop is, is annoying because the fans always spin up whenever I go. Back.
0: Oh, right, right, right. You know, uh, a lot of people are really into that, uh, the Google Hangouts you can do now. Mm-hmm. And you can actually publish them.
1: What do you mean, publish them? <laughs>
0: You can make a Google Hangout that's automatically recorded and it publishes it to YouTube.
1: That doesn't sound safe. That sounds like an awful idea.
0: Yeah. Well. Really? Yeah, and people are using it to do podcasts. Huh. You know what I mean?
1: I guess so. For free hosting, that's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah.
0: Hey. Uh, so I've I was just telling you I've I've completely revamped the way I do my drives on my computer now. Completely. Yeah. Actually, in some ways. So in the old days, mm-hmm. I had two, two terabyte drives, which were my data. Most of my like important data, like photos and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I backed them up to sparse images on a third, three terabyte drive. Cause the other ones were not full. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which was fine, except that these were 5,400 RPM green drives and they were like a little slow. But the thing I like about them is that they're dead quiet. Mm-hmm. Like I think I have like four of them running right now and you can't even hear them. Mm-hmm. So in my new machine, I wanted to try doing a RAID 0, like a software RAID 0. Right. So I needed to move all this stuff over to this software RAID 0 and then also have this all working without ever not having it at least two places at once. Right. Right. So so I had two, two terabyte drives in there. I copied everything over to the backup. I pulled those drives out. Mm -hmm. put two other two terabyte drives in, turned them into raid zero. Mm -hmm. So it's still on the backup and the two original drives.
1: So you have three volumes. So, so far, what's that? Three volumes, four four drives, three volumes,
0: right? Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. And so I, uh, so I had it on like, you know, two single drives and a backup. And then I had this raid zero I created. Then I put the backup in and copied everything over to this new scary raid so that I you know, have it all in one place. Mm-hmm. thing is, moving... This is, I think, 2.2 terabytes of data.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Even at SATA drives, we were talking about this the other day, mm-hmm. it's really slow. Well, not really slow, but it's 100 megs a second or whatever it is, mm-hmm. which means it takes 12 hours, 15 hours. So I had to like move it all to one place, mm-hmm. then move it all again to a second place. And then last night, I had to... I decided... The old way I did it, to these smart, smart bundles, right? Right. Which was great, except for the fact that... I don't really need sparse bundles anymore because it's not like I'm, I'm archiving multiple drives to a single drive. Right. So what I've decided to do is set it up so my backup is actually two separate partitions. One that is the size of my SSD and one that is the rest of it. Mm-hmm. So that I could actually clone my SSD over to this partition in the drive and be able to boot from it in the case of an emergency. Right. Where before I just had a sparse image, Right. 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 And then the rest of it, I don't really need to stick it in a sparse image. I just need to stick it in a big, giant... I just need a copy of all those files on the second drive. Sure. It was very nice and neat looking at the backup and seeing, like, just sparse images of each of the drives. Mm -hmm. But if it's only one big, giant raid, Mm -hmm. I don't need to worry about that. It's true. So I spent the last... Like, literally, this has taken three days to copy this stuff four times or something, you know, in order to do this. Right. Big, giant pain in the neck. I don't even... Doing you
1: know, was we using this as finder copies? Just regular drag and drop copies. I did
0: finder copies for a bunch of it. Mm-hmm. And then I did uh I used Super Duper last night to copy well, back over to the backup. Over yeah. the drive, yeah. Uh, for
1: for that kind of stuff, what I've started doing well, I've been doing this for a while now. Anytime I know I have a large transfer that's gonna last over two hours. Yeah. Even if I'm, you know, c- totally confident in it in it working. I almost always set up a really quick chronosync. chronosync routine, just because if anything goes wrong, it can pick up where it left off. Um, it can report errors, yeah. and then the other nice thing is sometimes, not not often, but sometimes I'll have like a number of copy jobs that I'll want to do. Like I want to move these four things over here, and then it went, and then at some point, you know, these six things when from here over, to there, yeah. and. As you as we all know, them. yeah, exactly. As we all know, sure, you can start however many copies you want as you know at the same time, but they all get compromised because they all they start slowing do do it down. All at once. It's stupid, right? So this I'm way, I'm
0: surprised that Finder isn't smarter than that.
1: Oh, don't get me started on that.
0: Like that seems like a pretty easy thing to do. You know, like have it so it's like those are waiting to go. Yeah, yeah. And then maybe even have a button where it says, like, if I definitely know I want to do all these at once, like, start it anyway. Yeah. Sort of like the uh, double tapping when you're downloading the apps on the iPad or whatever. And it downloads a bunch of apps and it says, like, waiting, 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 waiting. Right. You could double tap on them and it'll uh, start downloading. It'll, like, force download.
1: Hmm. I've never Um, tried that.
0: But yeah, no, no, you're completely right. Back
1: in the old days, in the old pre-OS 10 days, there was a really nice little... Tool app called uh, Speed Doubler. Uh, I want to say Connectix made it. Do you remember those guys? Yeah. What else did they make? Connectix. Well, I think their first product that I remember was the the Quick cam Oh w- yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah, made yeah. webcams. The little balls. Yeah, the little balls with the little pyramid style yeah. tri- uh, mounts. Um, I think it was called the QuickCam or webcam. I don't remember what it was. So, yeah, they were all black and white, and they yep. were serial devices. I remember that. You know, you had to get get a serial because all pre-USB. Um and then they got into software and I don't know if they made RAM doubler which was a, a, just essentially a more advanced uh virtual memory manager than the one that was built into the OS.
0: Did it actually uh, make that much of a difference?
1: For some people I, okay. I I remember some people swore by it. I remember the little uh extension icon during the startup it had a little, you know, little two pieces of RAM yeah. as they marched across your screen. Uh and then there was Speed doubler. And one of the really cool things about Speed Doubler was that it had a uh, another feature called Copy Doubler. And Copy Doubler basically just augmented the finder's copying routines. And when you dragged folders on, you know, one folder to another to, to, to make copies, it would give you a little dialogue and ask you, hey, do you want me to uh, pick up where I left off? Is this going to be a smart copy? Yeah. And do I check for changes first? And, you know, so you could you could resume interrupted transfers of of tons of stuff without having to dig in and find out where it where it left off which i always thought was a good idea
0: even copying uh coming from windows Mm -hmm. windows is much smarter if you have a folder and you drop it somewhere that folder already exists on mac os does it does it merge Uh or right it just sort of says do you want to replace that folder yeah where on windows it'll say do you want me to basically it'll it'll start merging the two of them Huh, that's neat. Which is actually probably the smarter way to go, right? Instead of like a lot of people. Possibly,
1: are gonna... but but what if you're trying to make an exact copy of something? You know, well, then you, you delete wanna, the... or if you, you want to replace the, the target, content. so it gives you... you merge or replace. option. yeah, yeah that makes sense. Um, it's kind of cool.
0: It's just yeah, there's a, a number of like weird little like missing things. You ever use any of those ref- those Finder replacements?
1: Like what? Oh, like Pathfinder? Yeah, that kind of stuff. Uh, not in a long time. I know some. I know there's a friend of mine who swears by Pathfinder. Um, but he's a super, you know. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Loves that stuff. It's funny, the drivers, speaking of, you know, you said the, change the the drivers to do the copying or whatever it was, that the copy doubler, you know, like replace the, whatever the internal stuff was. Yes. I mean, uh, it's just, it's not,
1: it's like an app. And
0: replacing the memory, the memory manager too, you know, Mm -hmm. where um, the big, I did this soft raid, by the way, I created the soft raid on the new machine. Yeah. Move those two drives over to the old machine, and they retained. Showed up as yeah. a as a RAID zero. It puts so, them,
1: It keeps that at the on the drive level. So right. yeah, you know, we used to do that all the time. You could swap. You can move, as long move as you RAID keep them. Around. As long as you keep the drives in their sets, though, and the OS is current enough. Right. Uh, it'll, it'll. Yeah, work.
0: these were both you know ten dot seven dot three. Whatever. I mean, I
1: don't think you can do it like with old, old. But since ten five, I want to say. Okay. It's been a
0: um, which was really handy. But there's that soft raid.
1: Oh, the app. the actual app soft raid. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh.
0: Um, and I just, I wonder what kind of advantages it actually gives.
1: Uh, you know, I have a hard time figuring it out. I, I, we bought a license when I worked at dtouch and I did a bunch of testing with it. And I could tell you the speed wasn't an advantage. There right. wasn't any, you know, it wasn't any faster. Um, and if anything, it was sort of a disadvantage because, uh, it had its own little proprietary driver that had to load. Right. Um, and I don't, I don't remember if you put a speed, sorry, a soft RAID pair of software, you know, a, a yeah. pair of drives that were rated with soft RAID. And if you pull them in and put them in a machine that doesn't have soft RAID installed, I'm not sure if they, show up they work or not. I don't remember.
0: Just gets tricky.
1: I think the one thing it did, it does have, it gives you a few more options for flexibility as far as the configuration is concerned, but I don't, I don't know how, how worth it. it yes. I have to look at it again. It's
0: surprising, like also, like I was copying a bunch of images, right? So they're all raw things, are twenty something megs a piece, and the big images are hundreds of megs a piece. It's surprising how that stuff goes fast, right? But then you start copying smaller files, Mm -hmm. and it all drags down or whatever. It's kind of like you know, I'm copying this entire folder or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Why don't you consolidate it and just copy it as a big block of stuff? That's not how it works.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's you know an old school. You, you know the file why file
0: systems feel really archaic.
1: Yeah, but you know you understand why that happens, right? With the block levels, st- like well, no. The the way I understand it is is the, or the way I explain it to people.
0: It, it moves the metadata first, and then it moves the. Well, data... Well, here's the thing.
1: It, it basically every file on your computer has we'll call it a head and a tail, right? A top and a bottom, um, and it doesn't really matter. How big that file is. Right. The computer doesn't really care. All it cares about is the head and the tail, just right. to make sure that it, you know, it, it beginning has beginning and the end exactly. Right. Um. So if you have a folder with a hundred files in it, right? Yeah. Let's say we're talking about uh a uh, uh, one gigabyte, right? Sure. So if you have a folder with uh one hundred one megabyte, no, I guess it would be hundred megabyte. Okay. Yeah. So one, you have 100... One, one, 100 100 megabyte files in it, right? Is that a gigabyte? That would be 10 gigs. 10 gigs. So 101 megabyte files. Okay. So, sorry, my math is bad. So if you had the, fo- the folder full of 101 megabyte files and you tried to drag those all over to guess, another location okay. and timed it, and then you did the same thing, but this time you either zipped those hundred megabyte files into one single file, or you had a, you know, a one gigabyte single file, right? The, the 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 single file would move way faster because sure. it's it's literally ninety eight things that the computer doesn't have to double check anymore
0: right 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 yeah it's just it's trying to keep the index correct mm-hmm. it's get, basically trying lot. to
1: keep track of every one of those yeah. files yeah. and that's why like you know uploading you know tons of little files on the internet takes for freaking ever
0: oh God it's such a nightmare you ever uh you ever like download WordPress and then unzip it and then upload. Because WordPress is only like 20 megs. Yeah, but it's like thousands of files. Yeah. So when you download it and you unzip it, it says like, oh, it takes like 30 seconds. And then you try to go upload it, and it's like... About seven minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? Um, that kind of stuff. There me. there aren't... I want to say there
1: are transfer protocols that compress, though. I want to say there's a flavor of FTP that does that, that does some sort of on-the-fly compression to combat that. You know, this also reminds me of... What? Uh, you probably don't remember this, because you weren't a Mac user but in the old days of pre hfs plus okay so hfs has been the macintosh filing system since, since the early 90s since forever um and when hfs plus came around uh one of the weird little prerequisites was that it it only would run i think I want to say you had to have mac os 8.6 or higher okay and it also had to be a power pc or or faster you couldn't use hfs plus volumes with non power macs okay so, you know, it was a little slow to adopt at, at first, but one of the key benefits of that file system was that it, it made, it was a lot smarter about the, um, the smallest block size. So uh, if you had, for example, and this is right, I remember this pretty clearly, like when the web was starting to first catch up and, and I was working at a, at a place where, you know, the webmaster had the website and, you know, the website took up something like three or four hundred megabytes on his disk. Right. Right. You know, s- several thousand files. And this is like, you know, an 80 megabyte, 80 megabyte, eight gigabyte drive or okay. something, something like that. I'm trying to my file sizes all wrong today. Um, maybe it was a one gigabyte drive. Or like a one or two gigabyte drive. I
0: think like a 1.6 gigabyte drive. Remember yeah. Or like weird size. This is
1: back in the 90s. So yeah, maybe it was like a 1.2 gigabyte drive yeah. or something like that. And the website was like, you know, two or 300 megs because I had a whole bunch of videos and sure. photos and stuff on it. Um, and then we, we, we partitioned the drive and reformatted it with HFS Plus, And that same 200 and something, you know, file yeah. structure wound up only being like, 81 megabytes or yeah. something absurdly it could smaller the block sizes, because yeah. of all of the damn small the file sizes. Size, yeah. Be, yeah. Um, because on the HFS volume, even though the file size might've only been one K, right? The minimum size, it you know, had to represent as was like 16K 32K, 16 K or 32 yeah, yeah, yeah. K. Yep. And we still run into that now with these yeah. preposterously large drives that we right. have. But in the old days it was way worse.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah that, that used to be a thing you could choose in windows it wasn't like a file by file basis, but it was like when you formatted the drive, no, it's you a file cho- system. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you could choose to make it a smaller, but there were also, there were downsides to that too. Like it slowed down transfers a little bit or some kind of crazy thing. There's like ups and downs, to all this kind of stuff. Sure. Um, it's funny. We, we have it so good. Like back when you were working at Detouch, mm-hmm. pepper used to do a lot of copying of these drives from gigs and whatever it still if, does. Yeah. Okay. That's her whole job. Well, I mean if she's transferring like a terabyte of stuff, 2 terabytes of stuff, does she just like let it just run for hours and hours and hours over to another drive and then over the net to wherever yeah. they were doing it? As far as I know, that's how it goes. God, it's like you'd think there'd be a better way to do it, but there really isn't. Mm-hmm. Uh it's actually interesting now that I have everything on the raid 0. I opened up Lightroom this morning and I deleted all my Lightroom caches from the old machine so I'm kind of like letting it rebuild. Uh-huh. And uh, just opening up a folder of stuff I haven't touched in a while where it used to, like, oh, I have to, like, sort of load previews slowly and, you know, it's noticeably faster because it's loading, you know, it's twice the, the, the theoretical speed, right? So it's it's kind of a neat little, oh, it's that's a nice little bump, you know? Sure. Hey, uh, we referenced yesterday, or last week, rather, uh, that whole 5D Mark III um, calibration thing. Remember, I was saying changing the H, S, and L values. In, yeah,
1: yeah. And I saw the guy who commented. He commented. C.D.
0: Toby. Yeah. He said. Uh, Small world. Uh, he, on the website. He, so his name is uh, C. David Toby. I'm the guy referred to repeatedly at minutes 37 to 40 in your podcast, number 86 in color grading. Uh-huh. Uh, flattered to hear that you've adapted my color calibration presets for correction. Uh, It's not clear uh, whether you're using Mark II or Mark III, blah, blah, blah. But the concept that you uh, don't quite describe is where the data color spider checker software actually analyzes the target automatically to create the 24 different sliders. Um, So basically, he's taking a picture of a color checker, Mm -hmm. and then there's software that actually does the calculations and spits out the stuff for him. Mm -hmm. Uh, The question is, is I wonder if that's custom stuff or... Because I wonder if it actually hands out luminosity, saturation, and hue. Values that you Yeah, enter? or if he wrote software that, that does the, the the math. I guess we'll find out next week if you listens to this episode. <laughs> um, so it's not me noodling around to find the right settings on a total of 24 different sliders. That would be a lot of trial and error. But instead, it's a process uh, that we went to great pan- uh, pains to automate. There you go. Mm-hmm. So anyone can shoot the target, get a calibration profile for their camera. Which leads me to my final point. Uh, the numbers you lifted from the screenshot are certainly like to improve the results in your body, but not as good as custom calibration to perform with, you know, your own body. Sure. So, right. Which which I know is not going to be perfect, but... It's a good start. It's a good start. And my guess is that the uh, variance between sensors for Canon or somebody are probably within yeah. a couple percentage points probably of each pretty other. Pretty close, yeah. Um, pretty cool. But just interesting that he got back to us.
1: Speaking of color calibration... Um you know, I have uh, an old Azo C G two eleven, I okay. think. Um, which is their older um calibratable um IPS yep. panel. I think it's a Hitachi in there. Um and I uh, yeah, I'm not a heavy duty color calibrator type of guy, at least at home. Not yep. you know, not unless I need it. But I I noticed it was looking a little off um and it had been, you know, Many many hundreds of hours since my last calibration, and uh, I decided that it, you know I should look into it because I remember when one of the one of the bigger hubbubs when 107 came out was that the color calibration drivers and software weren't ready yet. You know yeah. most a lot of the companies didn't have their you know their their software for the calibrators um, working. Yep. Um, so I went to ISO's, uh website and fortunately they they have a new version of the color navigator software. Yep. I remember um remember that stuff? What's that? I used to use that on my yeah. advisor. Yeah. And uh it's it's written with Adobe Air of all things.
0: Did they rewrite it with Adobe Air it's, recently? It's totally new. It's you know they probably are thinking just could be able to go cross platform makes sense and all it's really got to do is you know connect to the device and then do feed it
1: some colors and then generate a profile yeah, yeah send it's them pretty, to the LUT yeah it's really simple yeah. uh, it, but it's cute they have a neat, a, you know a little bit more you know in the in the past they had this weird little um, you know anim, I don't even call it an animation they this they, they stuck this little window in the lower right hand corner of the screen while the calibration was happening so you could sort of Get a get a feel for how long it was going to take. Kind of like the a, animation look like. It wasn't really animation. It was like a white box with a plus, and then it had like a pie chart that would slowly kind of spin around. I remember this. Yes. Okay. So now one of the nice little things that they've done with this new version of the application is this. You know that, that that little thing in the lower right hand corner is a little prettier, and it has these little things where it, it when it's measuring the shades of gray, um, it throw it, it throws these little balls in a little stack. You know, so you uh, know, it's, it's kind of hard yeah. to describe. Yeah, but uh, I was just—I was amused. number
0: seventeen is now checked. <laughs> yeah, I number was, eighteen.
1: I was amused.
0: I—it's uh, funny. I—I I actually calibrated my screen again the other day, and I—I I haven't in a while. I've been lazy. Um, it's funny because I keep my calibrator out. I just plug it into my keyboard, and I yep. can do it. You know. Yep. Usually it takes like a couple. Sometimes I do it once and then if I don't get numbers that are up to my snuff because the problem is, is as you get more accurate it gets to the point where there's more variability in each test. Mm. So you might run the test three different times and get three different delta E's. That makes sense. Um, so sometimes you got to run it multiple times in order to get one that like fits right, you know. Sure. And uh, I haven't done it in a few months just because I've been lazy. And uh, and the reason why I, I did it is because I got the Air Display app on the iPad. Oh, yeah. Have you used this?
1: Uh, it's been a long time. I remember when it first came out, and I, there was a free version, and I tried it,
0: and it was cool. Then that was it. It, it does the job, you know? and It's the, a neat trick. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's a little, you know, slow, right? You're not going to do it in real time. No, it's not for that. And I wouldn't use it as a... Some people are recommending it as, like, oh, you can use it as, um, like, a mixer. You know what I mean? Like, you could put controls from audio things. It's not nearly responsive enough to do that. No. But what I was figuring what I could do is get, like, a little dock... And use it as a second display. So when I'm working in, say, Photoshop... Yeah, for palettes. Well, actually, I was thinking, because it's a really good display in super high-res, have it as a one, or have it as a fit...
1: Oh, yeah, you're 100%? Of the,
0: yeah, so I could like look at the whole thing while hmm. you're working close up. Hmm. Bad idea?
1: No, I'm going to be curious.
0: It worked well in Lightroom as sort of like I could have the grid on the big display and then click on them and have the like zoomed-in view or the fit view on the little screen... Hmm. Uh, it, although it's funny when you have, it feels like a pretty big display. But when you have it next to a thirty-inch display,
1: it's pretty small. You
0: start to realize how tiny it is. Yeah, even though know? like
1: you've got an iPad three with the higher res yeah, screen,
0: right? And there's like a whole high DPI mode that you can turn on, hmm. so that it increases the size of uh, uh, any of the controls. You know, hmm. when you put them on that screen, neat. Um, yeah, it was like a neat little trick. I was like, wow, that's you know, kind of impressive. The kind of stuff that you wouldn't think that they would do with such a thing you know um, begs the question though was like imagine if they just had a thunderbolt in you know had a had a thunderbolt connection on the iPad on iPad five or whatever the you know in a couple huh. of years that you could literally just plug it into your mac and, and then it could be a, a just, like a native display it's a native display that's actually not
1: <laughs> that outlandish of an idea yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if the the next major iteration of the iPad because, yeah, I, I mean, I've been hearing these rumors, I'm sure you have too, um, of them abandoning the 30 pin, you know, the, the legacy connector. iPad connection um, for something smaller.
0: Yeah, which I wouldn't be
1: surprised. But Thunderbolt is like ridiculously overkill for that yes, too.
0: Yes, it is overkill, but, you know, but it,
1: the functionality it would allow. Yeah, would be and it would
0: also be nice to be able to like transfer piles of stuff to your iPad without That's having true. to wait like six hours. That's true. Syncing would be faster. Yeah. Um, it just it gets into it gets into some interesting things you can do with these these. I mean you you were saying that there's an app for Capture One, right? That you mm-hmm. can link it's it up.
1: It's called Capture Pilot.
0: Cost money or is it free?
1: Um the the app itself is free for for viewing the library. You know basically what happens is within Capture One you essentially specify a a root folder or you know I guess a, a share a folder that you want to share the contents of with the pilot network if you will yeah. with the air network um and then as long as the compu- the computer running capture one is on a wireless network and the ho- uh, the the clients cuz you can have however many you want yeah. i think you can have iPads I- iPhones whatever uh anything running the the pilot software they're on the network and then you can even and then i think you can even get really you can get specific and you can you can password protect the, you know the the yeah. Capture Pilot session, so that you know only people who you want can see it. Um, I so, is it really
0: just setting up like a watch folder in some ways? Pretty much. Would um, it work with any folder? Like, does 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 Capture Pilot real? Is it looking for Capture One on the machine, or is it really just looking for a folder on well, the it, network?
1: It needs Capture One to do the hosting. Capture One is doing the hosting. Okay,
0: so it's not but, just like looking at straight at the file system. It's looking. I at think,
1: I mean it. I would. I wouldn't be surprised because one of the weird little things about Capture One. Is that it? It really it just does a bunch of folder watching in the in the first place. That's how yeah. it works. Um, in the old days, and actually still today, sometimes when you're dealing with a camera that isn't supported natively by Capture One, like the Leica S2 yep. or the newer, like like this brand, you know, the Nikon D800E, you yep. know, which yeah. Capture One supports the raw files, but it still hasn't. Yeah, they have five D three in Lightroom. Yeah, they haven't. Work they yet. haven't released the yep. the tethering capability yep. yet. Um so what you do is you install um you you know you use the native software that comes with the camera to get the file you know cuz most cameras come with some sort of tethering yeah. app uh and then you basically have Capture One you, you set the capture folder essentially to be whatever the folder that you're capturing to in the finder you know um where the where the images live yep. and then then they appear in Capture One so in theory you should be able to do that with the the Capture Pilot wireless monitoring as well I would imagine.
0: It's interesting. I I know there are other apps that literally are just watching a folder on the network mm-hmm. and are just showing the images, mm-hmm. which means you could totally use those if you were capturing, do basically do a ad hoc system with Lightroom the same way, you know, just have Lightroom spitting out to a certain folder and have the app on the iPad on the same network looking at that share. Yeah, I guess
1: if you, if you wanted to do that, you could, you'd have capture run, capture one running in the background, right? sharing your, your tethered folder or whatever folder you specify right. in Lightroom as its capture folder.
0: Right. Or or just use Light. I'm just saying you could use Lightroom's capture facilities and then just use an app like that. Basically, you could set it up, no capture one, Lightroom tethered, dropping it into a folder, and use some iPad software to just watch the folder that it's dropping them into. Mm-hmm. Um, as like a I, yeah, I guess poor man's
1: version. If yeah, if you don't own, well, actually, you don't need. You could always download the demo for Capture One. It's a yeah. th- I think I, actually they upped it to sixty days now. Yeah. I think it's a sixty day demo, so you could do that. Um, and the other nice thing is that it actually does support zooming and stuff like that. So when you s- zoom in on a file, it sends you an updated version of it, so that you can actually get details down to one hundred percent. Yeah, which is nice. And then in the latest version, I think it even supports displaying a histogram and. I think earlier versions also showed you, you could do, you, you could apply star and color ratings yep. to it if you wanted, which is kind of nice. There are actually camera remote control apps for that. And that's the other thing. So if you want to pay $15, maybe it's like some other in-app purchase, then the capture one pilot gives you camera control. So you can actually trip the shutter and make uh, right. you know, ISO ex- ex- uh, adjustments. And See,
0: I can like imagine that. that being very useful for like still life guys, right? Mario uses it all the time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny. We uh, when I did my workshop a couple weeks ago, I had uh, I had everyone sort of plug into. Almost all of them were Canon, mm-hmm. so I had them just plug into the Canon software mm-hmm. and shoot tethered. So if they had the whoever had the Pocket Wizard, also was plugging into the laptop just so that when the pictures would just pop up on the screen, we could talk about them as the other guys were shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I don't know about the Nikon software, but the Canon software pretty awful
1: oh and then like I it off.
0: disconnects all the time and it's like hard yeah. to get it. you like plug it back in and the camera like is blinking kind of confused yeah and that comes off is awful too um
1: it, well they're all kind of awful i mean i guess capture one is the least awful of the bunch yeah but we get we have issues with i have issues with capture one running with the 5d mark ii all the time Oh, it's so frustrating. It's annoying. Yeah, and you got to unplug and replug and quit and reopen and sometimes yeah, yeah, yeah. quit and turn on, and to turn the camera off.
0: Right. So every time we pass the camera, the cable to somebody else, every time it disconnected, it would quit the app. <laughs> See, it's, you know, it's amazing that they don't all that software is such an afterthought all the time. Uh, yeah.
1: just It makes you wonder who's, who's, you know, who's making the call.
0: Yeah, well, you know, Canon and Nikon, I think they're series just hardware guys, and the software is always always secondary. It's true. The other day, I was recording that thing for Zay Frank upside down, and I, Heather was running the camera, because, mm-hmm. you know, with a with a full-frame thing, I needed to make sure it was in focus and whatever. So she's running the camera, but the camera's, like, upside down on a tripod, like, hanging down through the middle shaft, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm hanging upside down off the bed. Mm-hmm. And, uh... And it's one of those crazy things where, like, when you go upside down, it's like you can't – it's hard to think because, like, all the blood starts rushing to your head and you're kind of like – you get a little, like, lightheaded and you're kind of like, okay, wait, what was I going to say? You know, we're we're filming the whole thing. But every time I was trying to, like, change settings on the camera – new camera. I couldn't figure out how to change it because I didn't need 1080p Mm -hmm. for that. That camera doesn't do 720 at 30 frames. All the 720 settings are at 60 frames that I saw. Really? Yeah. That sounds weird. I know, right? I have to take another look. Yeah. But the other day, I was like, okay, well, that's a waste because now I got to... I know it was the
1: other way. I know it can only do 60 frames at 720. Right. But you think... You think to- it would just <laughs> be
0: able to drop the other yeah, frames. it should and- be able to go
1: slower. Yeah. Uh, there, there must be something else going on.
0: Yeah, or maybe it's just they have the firmware or whatever it is. But mm-hmm. like I was sitting there. And I know that camera pretty well now. And I'm flipping through and I'm like... Where the hell do you change the settings? Because I haven't like, yeah, well, met, don't messed with the video. You're not a video guy. But it used to be that the video settings were inside just the regular menu system. It was like down the bottom of one of them. You kind of like went down to this rabbit hole of like the video settings. Yeah. And I went through the entire menu system like five times thinking I was insane. Like, where the hell do you change this? And so I download the PDF of the manual because I mm-hmm. didn't. I don't know where I put the manual in a box somewhere. Right? I don't really need the manual. Sure. Download the manual and I look up like how you change the thing. Resolution. And it was like, you know, press this to change the resolution. And I'm like, that button doesn't exist. Or, you know, it was referencing something somewhere else in the manual or something. And I was like, this is so massively confusing. Like, I'm pretty good at this stuff, and I can't figure this out. Yeah. It was just... And it turned out that when you, you have to have it in live view mode for the video... Oh, right. Then there's shit on the screen. Right. And you can move around with the little...
1: The D-pad. Eight-way,
0: yeah, yeah to get the thing... How am I supposed to know? Like, that's a completely different paradigm than you change any other setting on the camera. It's true, but that's actually not unlike how video cameras work. I know, but it's just kind of funny that, like, I don't know, it just seems like you change everything.
1: Yeah. You know? That's that's funny.
0: Yeah. It was just pain in the neck. Oh, video. Video, man. What a pain in the ass. Yep. Every time I ever work in video, and so I I filmed this thing, and we did a couple takes, and I pulled it into Premiere. mm Mm-hmm. And I, I top and tail, you know, in and out points. Brought it in, audio, pumped it up a little bit, got rid of some of the background noise. Mm-hmm. Um, made the video a little bit better because the color was off. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, okay, export. So I export it to like a 720 or a 1080 uh h264 h264 file, right? And it only ended up being, I mean, it's like literally 10 seconds. So it was like 15, 20 megs. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't that huge. Sure. Um except it cut off the first like half second and the last like second of the thing. So my timeline, if you played it in the timeline, it was perfectly fine. I select all, so I made sure I got everything. I go and export, and it, yeah. and playing it in preview worked, but the minute I ex- actually exported it, it clipped the f- top and tail, hmm. which is why I was calling Claude that day mm. trying to figure out what the heck the problem was. Mm. And I, I, what I ended up doing was extending it a half a second and a second in the timeline, even though there was junk in there. Right. Which ended up exporting correctly. Bizarre. Video stuff just doesn't make any sense to me.
1: Yeah. It can be definitely, it can be frustrating. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. Much more frustrating than, uh, what's it called? Hey, you were doing, we were talking about that transcoding stuff last week. That's right. And you and I were talking the other day about building a little Hackintosh just to do transcoding.
1: Yeah. the thought occurred to me. Um, I was just thinking about how it might be nice to have um a dedicated um well not dedicated, but a machine that had enough cores in it to really chew through um transcoding some of this stuff. Right. Um so, you know, case in point, let's say you're on a, a shoot and you're sh- and you know, there's two five D Mark IIs and or or seven D's or whatever, you know, they're, they're shooting Canon DSLRs and at the end of the day, you have, you know, a hundred gigabytes of shot footage, mm-hmm. which is compressed. Um, somebody, if they want to edit that, has to transcode that stuff into something you know that editors like. Uh, in this case, the the format seems to be uh, Apple ProRes. Okay. Um, and that basically more than doubles the size of the original files. Um, and it's 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 just kind of up resing them basically. It's yep. you know it's just you know, it's,
0: it's unpacking them and just storing them sort of uncompressed. It's
1: the, yeah, I would say it's the, sort of the equivalent of taking a JPEG and making it Saving a PS a TIFF, file yeah. or, or an EPS file. Yeah. Where it's just, a you know, it, it it can be recompressed for sure. But in order for the, you know, the software to, to do all the real time transitions and stuff like that, and the coloring to be proper, it has to be resed up. So um, there aren't any, uh, so now I'm doing some research and looking into the best ways of transcoding as quickly as possible um, and as you probably know multi-core processors do these sorts of tricks in a couple of different ways and so let's say you have a four gigabyte file um, because it's a single file even if you have a multi-core processor or two yeah. processors yeah. the way the routines work they can only really you know, chew on one file right. at a time. That's just the way they do it. You can't just
0: cut it in half and start compressing because there's well, keyframe issues. And- you
1: can though. So, so that's where it gets crafty. So there are a couple of different packages out there. Um, you know, server stuff and some some you know little behind the scenes um apps that can basically do what you're talking about. The the coolest one I've seen is um called Episode Episode okay. Engine or Episode Pro. Um. I was first introduced to it a couple years ago when I was at control group and we were working, we were, one of our clients was this sort of TV station and they needed to do a ton of transcoding. Um, and so we had this little cluster. We had, I think two or four and they were Linux boxes because the uh, episode engine, you know, the, the, the server end of it was multi-platform. Right. And um, the way it worked essentially was, you you know, you set up watch folders and then you upload your to be compressed footage Uh, and then once it's done episode grabs it and then essentially the first thing it does is it chops it into however many pieces it needs to be and then feeds those pieces to as many little open mouths it can come across on the network Um, obviously it prefers the local ones on the machine itself but what's cool about clustering is that you can you can distribute that processing amongst however many computers you have sure Um, and with gigabit networking that can be Pretty quick.
0: Fairly reasonable. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so that, that seems like the best way to do it these days. And, you know, obviously the downside is that once it's done, it needs to recombine the file, but you're recombining a much smaller file at the end of the day. So it's not like a ton of extra work. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just, you're just throwing, throwing ideas at this point. I don't have the, the the hardware. I don't don't have a camera. I don't own a camera that can shoot video to, to experiment with yet. Yeah. Um, so next time I get my hands on one, I'll, I'll, I'll play around with it a little bit. Be interesting.
0: Your D three doesn't do, no. Nope. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, we were just talking about you could build. We were looking at the Tony Mac has some of these custom Mac.
1: Oh yeah. So I guess to to, to speak yeah. to that a little bit more. So my um my thought is when I show up on set with with my rig, it's not a, you, you know you see these guys and it's not uncommon for guys to bring whole workstations like they lo- they will literally bring a Mac Pro or two with a couple of displays or you know or a laptop or two laptops and essentially set up a little you know little awful you know little office for themselves in the corner uh, and then they'll just sit there and, and, and do the work and I'm and I get that and I understand that that's that's great if you have a car <laughs> yeah. and you have that kind of um, that kind of time and that kind of stuff and
0: want to buy a three year old Mac Pro now
1: yeah but uh, I personally don't really have that kind of uh interest to be honest with you i I like traveling light and um you know as much as as i respect the the power of the mac pro i still it's still a huge pain in the ass to take one on set so um the the bonus of the mac pro obviously is that you know mine has eight cores you know two two quad core machines and if i'm going to be doing transcoding that would be the way to do it compared to my current you know core two duo which only has two cores right um so what I'm what I'm considering now, you know, moving forward again, this is assuming if I get if I continue to get work doing this DIT thing, which I'm hoping I do, um, I'm going to need to step up my game. So I'm obviously going to get uh, uh, a faster, more modern laptop. I'm probably going to wait until whatever happens over the next couple of weeks to see what Apple does with their the MacBook, MacBook Pro line. Yeah, we'll see. But it's pretty safe to say I'm going to get what you know something, um, and then. To complement that, uh, I was thinking it'd be really neat if I could get something approximate. Maybe see, maybe even a regular, just a regular old Mac Mini. Because yep. the Mac Minis themselves have four cores, and they they're dual. running They're i7. They're dual. Dual what?
0: They're dual core. They're not quad. Oh, no. The i7? I looked this morning. Really? They don't yeah. make an i7 core? I guess that makes sense. It's an but. i7 dual.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know. Um but they're small and, sh- and
0: relatively. They are inexpensive. small and relatively inexpensive. But although you, once you bump when, up the things, it ends up being a thousand dollar box. True.
1: And then and then you start comparing. So that's that's when our conversation kicked in, yep. which is where you start thinking about well, geez, um, I know I can get a, a newer, higher power processor. Yep. In a, a similarly sized box, um, for a fraction of the cost, if I do the whole Hackintosh thing, um, which is where you know you and I were talking about, right. That that could be really cool, and I mean, literally, these things are—you know—they're not as small as the current mini. The current no. mini is freaking teeny. No,
0: they're they're more like the you'd build it'd be building something closer to the cube.
1: Right. The the old school yeah. Power Mac Cube G four, which is still thing.
0: a fairly small machine. It's
1: a, yeah, it's compact. I mean, it's well, compared it's, to a Mac Pro, exactly, it's smaller than a yeah. Mac Pro, and I could still fit it in a. Plus, in a backpack.
0: you don't. If I mean, if you're doing this over the network, you just need a headless machine. In theory, yeah. Really if, 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 the if I'm gonna monitor. have, yeah,
1: if I'd have a laptop with me. All I would need is a nice little gigabit switch. Or actually, no, I wouldn't even need a switch. I could just plug, plug straight in. the computer right in. The computers right into one another, and then I could set up yeah. um, something like Episode, yep. where I'd have you know, and both machines would be you know on you know in the cluster. Um, but the, obviously, the primary one would be the uh, the desktop, the mini, if you yep. will, the Hackintosh mini. Uh, the other thing that would be nice would be to have native onboard eSATA connections and USB three connections.
0: Yes, which the motherboard we were looking at did. Yeah, uh, the
1: only other thing that would be amazing is if it had Thunderbolt, which yes. is where the Mini comes into play, because the Minis do have Thunderbolt uh, ports on them. Right,
0: but wh- for storage, what would be your Thunderbolt? Yeah, for storage. Okay. Uh, how much space do you need?
1: That is another good question.
0: Because <sighs> you get into this thing where, okay, if it can fit a three-and-a-half-inch drive, you could put a three-terabyte drive in there, four-terabyte drives now. Mm-hmm. Um. Are you going? And, and when you're transcoding, the limitation is not the bandwidth of the disks. The disk can read and write a lot faster than your usually, CPU is going to crunch. Usually,
1: yeah. Here's the thing: there's the additional layer, the additional factor to to mess things up in the world of DITing is that, in my experience anyway, maybe this is different as you get higher up the chain. But in my experience, you're basically handed hard drives by the client. That they some expect of them might just be that they weird, expect to be handed at the end of the day when when they're filled, yeah, and and you're at the mercy of whatever drives that those people have chosen, which in my experience have been things as slow and crappy as the little, you know, multicolored Western Digital USB yep. only, you know, the little bus powered USB yep. two drobies, or, or as nice as the the LaCie rugged, or actually I was handed, you know, I've I've worked with two different USB three. Drives, which I haven't been able to use at USB okay. three because my machine doesn't speak it.
0: Well, that's um, the nice thing about those USB three is that they're not that expensive.
1: It's true, and they're backwards compatible, so you can right. roll down to USB two. Uh, I did finally spring for um, a USB three card for my for my uh, laptop, uh, which I use the, the circuitous conversations Amazon affiliate link to purchase.
0: Excellent. <laughs> uh, have you gotten it yet?
1: <laughs> it's uh, it's shipping. I'll, okay. show, I'll, it'll, it'll arrive. It'll be
0: int- I want to see what kind of numbers you get on that thing. Well, I don't have
1: a USB 3 drive yet.
0: <laughs> ah. You know, Amazon, I got a thing this morning. They had a, a, not that you'd want this, but there was a 500 gig little bus powered USB 3 drive for like $54. Really? It was today's big deal. Huh. Like until they sell out, whatever it is. How, how big was it? 500 gig. Oh, like a little one. two, you know, two and a half inch. Who made it? Hitachi, maybe? Hitachi. Anyway, um, no, you're completely right. I mean, you could theoretically, if you got a new laptop, use the Thunderbolt on the new laptop. I mean, if it's all clustered together and, you know, it's just chewing anyway, you don't need a whole lot of storage on the little box. It's really just for chewing through the CPU, you know? Right. Um, anyway, we figured out that you could build with the case, motherboard, top of the line CPU, 16 gigs of RAM. It was like 700 bucks somewhere like on there. That.
1: It was well under a grand.
0: Which is just nuts, Mm -hmm. you know. Use the use the onboard graphics, not that you'd ever use them. Correct. Everything else was just kind of built in, Mm -hmm. and it was like seven hundred bucks, and I was like, man, it's just crazy the amount of power. Mm -hmm. I mean, it used to be that if you spent seven hundred dollars on a computer, you would get the
1: bottom bottom of the barrel piece of
0: junk. Yeah, and now, unbelievable. Mm -hmm. AMD apparently this week came out because Intel is like handing them their hat for the past like two years. Mm -hmm. AMD's boss man guy came out and said you know we're not gonna we're no longer gonna make needlessly powerful processors some kind of like oh that intel they're building stuff that no one ever really needs and it was like wow really like way to spin it you know um right Right. it's always something right Mm -hmm. everyone's always got an excuse for why they're not as good or why not you know they gotta Uh, do something like that anyway i just i think it would be a pretty cool experiment if not anything else look at that like uh It's crazy, but like we're in New York City. Amazing. I think that was an ambulance. Seventh Avenue or Sixth Avenue where I live. Not. It's. I like this avenue because Fourth, Fifth, Seventh, Eighth, and Ninth all have buses. But this one doesn't. No buses. The only times there are buses here is if there's like a or detour or something. Yeah, some kind of thing like that. Yeah. But it's funny. Buses are loud. Yeah. Uh, Especially from above. I think they like are designed to kick most of the noise and stuff like upwards in the back there. Hmm. Uh i never thought about it. You ever noticed that like at your, uh, there any, is there a road like right outside your window?
1: Yeah. A major one. Tillery Avenue.
0: Oh, right. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's why there are always sirens and buses and things
0: and cops just hanging out up there.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, there's a police station around the corner That's and a fire so station weird. and a post office and city hall or borough hall.
0: Uh, you yeah, know, I was telling you how my sister's phone got stolen. Yep. Yesterday she was sitting at this museum some like 12 year old kid grabbed her iPhone and ran mm-hmm. and they ended up catching him and getting it back, whatever it is. And he was all like, Oh, I don't know why you're pressing charges. You got your phone back. Uh, <laughs> my sister was like, Oh, i pressing charges. Cause you're an idiot. Uh, but it just kind of, it, it, all of her pictures and videos and things of, of my nephew or her son were on there. Mm-hmm. And man, you got to back that stuff up. I don't, people like, even with iCloud, it's what like the last hundred pictures or something like that? Oh, or is that it? I don't know. Last hundred and fifty pictures. There's a at the other end though. It's a bit bucket, right? It's not. They're not all sitting up there. I don't know. Um, which is a scary thing because I think people set up iCloud just and just assume
1: it, that everything's yeah. gonna be fine. Well,
0: what you got to do is actually turn on like iPhoto or Aperture, I guess, or the photo I'm, stream thing, right? To have photo, but you have to actually turn on. You have to run iPhoto in order for it to. Start download from PhotoStream. Like, PhotoStream doesn't happen at a system level. Hmm. It's like you have to load up iPhoto to make it work. That sounds right. Which, it really should just sort of download them in the background at the system level.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's annoying.
0: I don't know. Very weird. What else you got going on? Uh,
1: Let's see. I'm heading to Savannah, Georgia tomorrow for a last-minute quickie thing with my friend Seth. Um, We should have Seth on the show one of these
0: days. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I don't really know too many details about it, but I'm excited, um, just because I never get to see or hang out with Seth. Seth lives in Grand Rapids. Uh, He moved to Grand Rapids shortly, or right around the same time. Yeah, from Chicago, right around the same time that I moved here from Chicago.
0: He's uh, married, right?
1: He is married twice, actually, yeah. Kid? three kids.
0: So yeah, that's a whole, kind of a thing. sad
1: story. Unfortunately, uh, his, uh, his first wife, he, I guess he married his college sweetheart. Um, and they, you know, bought a house and had a couple of kids. Yeah. And then about 10 years in, uh, she developed uh, brain cancer. Ugh. And then within like two years, she was gone. Um, really sad. Uh, but you know, luckily enough, for him, he, he met another really terrific girl, yeah, and they got married and had another kid, and and now they all live in a huge house in Grand Rapids. They all get along, yeah. Everybody gets along.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, he was here. uh has been here a couple a, times. Was it about a year ago? Uh, that, that me, he, and I, and and Claude. Oh yeah, yeah. We all went over to uh, uh, what's it? The name Celeste past? Cafe, right? Oh yeah, and then, but then we went over um um kent's house
1: oh you did yeah
0: all oh, right cause, to cause... drop off a hard drive or something like that right for
1: claude for and, and claude. i think actually seth met kent the same day that i met yeah. him we seth and i both went to uh one of those mcnally workshops this is like in june of 2009 yeah and that's where i met kent i owe that guy a phone call i haven't seen him in ages
0: uh kent mm-hmm. uh it is uh hot and i think we should go be Memorial Day people.
1: Okay. Want to call a show?
0: Got anything to add? I don't think so. You're lounging very nicely in that chair.
1: It's neat to be sitting here. Just (laughs) hanging out. Real time. Without headphones. Yeah.
0: Headphones get hot on your head after a while.
1: Well, especially with the ones that you have.
0: Oh, you know, one thing. I had a... uh, Look at this. I uh, found this in my closet, which is a... It's a... Headroom, airhead, headphone amplifier. Uh-huh. Battery-powered and unbelievably good-sounding. Neat. And I lost it. And I just found it when we were cleaning out the cabinets or well, whatever lost it the,
1: the cover for it.
0: Right. But it doesn't work. I put batteries in it, and I tried it, and I get no signal out of it. And I kind of remember that it stopped working, mm-hmm. you know? And I looked up, and they're just like, oh, we do out-of-warranty repair because I've had it for like 10 years. Mm-hmm. And usually it's a hundred dollars an hour. Usually they fix stuff in a half an hour, mm-hmm. but the thing only costs a hundred bucks. So, you know, for a new one, which is, right. I'm sure better in every way. Sure. So it's just one of those annoying things where it's like, Oh, it looks, and I pulled it apart and like looked at all the things on the board, trying to look for something that was like fried or whatever. Yeah. All looks fine. Yeah. It's just price. sad. Sometimes. That's how it works. I don't know. It's kind of annoying. Anyway, head, head, headphone amplifiers. Good stuff. <laughs> I used to love those things. Mm-hmm. Sounds so good through that stuff. You ever hook like your fancy shores up to like a really good headphone amp? Mm. It sounds completely different. It's like the, it's like upgrading everything. So I've heard. Uh, it's good stuff. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you know we gotta we should get this CD Toby guy on. Maybe he'd come on the color guy. Sure. Uh, we'll have to send him an email. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, conversations at gmail dot com. Uh, the website circuitus Yep. Or you could send us um, email. You could, uh, send us an email or t- uh, Twitters Yeah, the, Twitter. Uh, at Bill Wadman and at Dan Gottesman on Twitter. Yep. And uh, if you want to support the show, you can go tip us at circuitus.tv. Yep. Or over on the right hand side, you can click on a little amazon.com link and anything you buy there, we get a couple percent of, which is very nice and it doesn't cost you a cent.
1: Yeah, helps offset the cost. So when you uh,
0: buy stuff from Amazon, go there and, and, and Amazon pays us and.
1: And you get your stuff.
0: And you get your stuff. Pretty good. Somebody uh, bought a hard drive, apparently. Me. So check that out. Uh, Wait. Until next week. Have a good one. Later. Right. Right on.